1: Welcome back. I am Lee Lonsbury, and I have told you now for almost a year, every chance I get, that I am—I'm uh, a firearms enthusiast. Yeah, I, I enjoy—I uh, enjoy guns. Safely, obviously. I, I take all the precautions. I was raised from very young to uh, to make sure that I treat all, all guns as if they were loaded, to always and only ever point a firearm in a safe position and uh, a safe direction and keep your finger off the trigger and, until you're ready to engage your target. Those are the safety tips and rules that I was uh, raised with, and they are the safety tips and rules I take with me every time uh, I am out exercising my uh, Second Amendment rights. In fact, I think, I think in the back of the closet, I may even have a t shirt that says Second Amendment, first priority. Because hey, I'm tough like that, right? <laughs> uh, well, I share that with you uh, simply to illustrate how frustrated and angered I get when I see uh, those who who break some of the common sense uh, laws that are on the books uh, to to keep others safe. You see, there are uh, there are forms you have to fill out when you purchase certain firearms. Uh, there are certain things that you have to do, which are uh, questions of statute, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm a I, I'm a gun freedom type guy and I uh, am often against much uh, restriction, but there are certain restrictions that are designed to save lives. And so when I see someone abusing a system, uh, I am disheartened and then uh, my, my, I'm only restored uh, to my confidence once I see that, uh, that justice is in the process of being served, which brings me to a conversation now with U.S. Attorney for the District of Utah, John Huber, uh, who has recently charged uh, in a firearms trafficking case. Uh, a man alleged to have purchased 283 guns uh, in an effort to distribute them uh, illegally. Uh, Sir, how are you? Welcome to the program.
2: Hey, Lee. It's great to be here, and I'm doing well. Thanks.
1: That's good. Uh, Give give us the details of this case. What have you observed?
2: This one is really an interesting one, and I'm glad you're giving it some attention. Because, yeah, the Second Amendment, that's who we all are as Americans. It's, It's part of our DNA. It's in the founding document of our nation. So it's who we are, but it's not an unlimited right. And, uh, you know, firearms, that's a that's a regulated industry. Here, um, this defendant is charged with just this year, this calendar year 2020, with uh, trafficking 283 firearms. He spent $176,000 by our conservative estimate. This year, I'm purchasing firearms from 29 different stores, uh, licensed stores here in Utah. Now, here's the scary part. Uh, I want to introduce a concept called time to crime. That's what we use in law enforcement. So the, the time between the date of purchase and the date that it's recovered at a crime scene is called time to crime. We have thus far recovered 19 of these firearms that he purchased in crime scenes in California uh, in a very short period of time called time to crime stunning
1: a- absolutely stunning now 283 guns from how many establishments did you say
2: 29 different federal firearms licensees here in Utah
1: and was that uh, were those the only uh, transactions he engaged in or did he uh, you know hop on some website and arrange any pri- any of these private sales to your knowledge
2: well, our, our case focuses on uh, these purchases, and we're able to track those through tracing. So like those guns that were recovered in murder scenes in uh-huh. California, the officers input the serial numbers, and we can trace back to who originally bought them because the federal firearms licensee keeps a record of that. And, and so we're looking at the traditional way of going to a gun store, a sporting goods right. store filling out the form, picking out the gun, promising that it's going to be for you. So these are traditional transactions that we're looking at here.
1: And that's the key to this case, correct? That form uh, which uh, it's alleged the, the suspect filled out, there is that question. Uh, I've answered this question countless times myself making purchases, and it is, are you purchasing this as, uh, on your own behalf? Is this for you? Uh, do you intend to engage in like lawful purposes and all that? Uh, is, how was it? How was it that attention was called to uh, to that, that fabrication?
2: Well, it, there's red flags out there that uh, federal firearms licensee, the business people, look for. There's red flags that the federal agents look for. Here, one of the tips that we received was from uh, a, an upstanding business who said, like, look, this looks funny. These large cash purchases. So you're talking... Um, you know, purchases $11,000 cash on the table, uh, multiple guns of of similar type and nature. You know, of the 283 firearms, 147 of them were particular Glock handguns, and those are those are suspicious transactions. So, like in the banking industry, when uh, a bank a bank branch sees something suspicious, they're required to file a report for follow up. Here in this world, in firearms purchases, if that licensee, if the gun store says, you know, that just seemed a little funny, or the explanation he gave me, uh, just a little bit off, they will file a suspicious report for federal agents to look at and follow up on. And that was one of the trails or tracks that federal agents followed in this case.
1: Nobody accuses criminals or those suspected of committing crimes as being like the sharpest knives in the drawer. Uh, isn't this like Paper Trail City? How did how did uh, this this suspect? Uh, how do they think they were going to get away with this?
2: Well, I think a lot of these people, and I think there are people who do get away with it by just uh, blending into the sea of transactions that are out there. Like you said in your preliminary remarks, we love guns in the United States as part of who we are. And there are a lot of transactions out there. So just like bank transactions in the hundreds of thousands, I mean, I don't know how many occur in a day. Similarly, in gun transactions, how many of those occur in a day in Utah, in the Mountain West, in the United States? And so I think they hope to and sometimes do get away with anonymity amidst the sea of transactions that are out there.
1: Fascinating. Uh, You said the transactions were all made in cash, huh?
2: Yeah, that's right. Which is troubling to us, and this is documented in some of our court filings thus far. From from what we can tell, this young young relatively young person, not employed, doesn't really have a stream of income that we can tell and, at ca- this point. And came,
1: and came here from out of state, correct?
2: Well, yeah. It looks like he lives in Las Vegas, and why is he traveling to Utah? to buy guns. We have tips that he was selling them in Las Vegas. Certainly we have the ones recovered in California. So this is an interstate issue. He's traveling to do this business that he's doing, which is unlawful. And then how is he funded? Where is that money coming from? That's a concern that we have. And federal agents, the ATF, are the best of the best in this game. And they will track down that information and dog it down. This case is, in some ways, just beginning because a concern that I have as the U.S. attorney is that, uh, you know, is there a group or individual out there who's financing this type of activity to have a, what in, in layman's terms would be a gun runner? Yeah.
1: Well, uh, when all is said and done here, I look forward to 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 hearing the conclusion in this case. Uh, but what I can observe here is that uh, my hat's off to the. Uh, to the, the folks at the gun shops, the FFL license holders, those at Sportsman's Warehouse in St. George, uh, Gunnies in Orem, uh, the other shops where it is alleged that these transactions took place. Uh, my hats off to them for observing uh, and having the wherewithal to report the observation of some irregular activity. Uh, that, that, for me, is, is one of my big takeaways. Uh, and also, sir, hats off to you for pursuing cases like this and, uh, you know, keeping guns out of the hands of those who shouldn't have them, uh, you know, using the legal tools available to you.
2: Well, yeah, thanks for saying that. You know, it's nice to see when the system works. As Congress uh, designed it and as, you know, the the jobs that we have in keeping people safe It's nice to see that it works sometimes. That should help us feel better about our public safety. That's the way.
1: Uh, John Huber, U.S. Attorney for the District of Utah. Thanks again for your time. We're going to take a a quick break, and when we return, we're going to shift gears pretty dramatically. I came across uh, some findings yesterday that were pretty troubling, and it has to do with the effect that the coronavirus has had on hospitals. Yeah, I I know that we talk about capacity. We talk about surges. We talk about ICU uh, bed usage. Well, there is... Another angle, and it's impacting rural hospitals more so than anywhere else. In fact, uh, because of the heightened focus on the coronavirus, many hospitals are having to close. Why is that? We'll find out with Greg Bell, President and CEO of the Utah Hospital Association, next. What is closing rural hospitals? That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.
0: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. <laughs>